Hey, hi, I'm Bonnie. Welcome to this podcast, Make Joy Normal, where we chat about homeschooling and family life. With my co-hosts, Elizabeth and Christina, we address your questions and topics in a way that can create more joy in our lives. Please submit any questions you have by email or voice message in the links in the show notes. If you found this episode valuable, please share it with a friend, like, or leave us a review. That's how we get the word out. Thanks for trying to make joy normal in your own life. Good morning slash good afternoon, my dear listeners. I have a guest with me today. Uh, Welcome, Leah. Hi. So glad to be here. Yeah, I'm thrilled. So it's afternoon for Leah. It's early morning for me. And we have gotten together because Leah's agent reached out to me to see if I'd be willing to interview regarding your book that has just come out, Modern Miss Mason. And so that's the name of your website as well, correct? It is. Um, I mean, if you type that into a search engine, you'll generally find me. <laughs> so <laughs> I love it'll it. either find a book or me. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's wonderful. Modern Miss Mason. So, so Leah has been an advocate of of the Charlotte Mason philosophy, I guess we would uh, would be the best term to use, right? Certainly not a program of any sort. Yep. And uh, so I was hoping you could maybe just tell us a bit about you and your family to start off with so people know where we're coming from. Yeah, absolutely. And again, Bonnie, thank you for having me on here. And uh, it's great to be introduced to your listeners. Um, so my name's Leah Bowden. I uh, very much here in England. I live right in the middle in Coventry, not too far from Stratford-upon-Avon, if people know that kind of area. I'm married to Dave and we have four children and two of those are kind of into adulthood now. Everybody is still home though. So the house is full and I've been home educating for about 15, 16 years of those years of parenting. And I currently have one full-time home educator left, which is very strange. I've never really homeschooled just one, one child. Prior to that, I actually worked in the education department. I worked with children on the verge of exclusion from school, really troubled children. So I dealt with um, emotional, social difficulties rather than more the academic stuff. So reaching the root of what was going on. So that was my work prior to that. My husband always also works in education. So between us, we are very passionate about education and family. And uh, that really has been our life for as mm. as well as pastoring. We did that for 11 years up until recently as well. So very much a people-focused family and um, it's very rewarding. Yeah, I bet. I imagine your experience in the education system really help to define your philosophy for home education as well because because of what you're seeing in terms of the difficulty and how to reach people I imagine that was uh, deeply moving yeah it, it was moving the particular children and families that I worked with were you know quite extreme situations um, I think there are wonderful be- people doing fantastic work in the school system I mean I know some great teachers who are all working so hard and doing their best to do with what they've got. Uh, but it is a, it is a, it is an interesting setup, isn't it? And I think when we began our home educating journey, one of the very early things we knew we had to have was a vision for our family. So before we started researching, even researching philosophy and curriculum and kind of how does this look, we were like, what is the outcome here? What is our why? What is the, you know, why are we doing this? And what is the vision for our family? And that really was the route that kind of held us tight as we began to work out what this looked like and um, you know for each individual child and as a family and uh, those kind of decisions early on really hold you fast oh absolutely yeah know what you're about yeah yeah how did you do you mind me asking how did you develop family philosophy we went through a route of that as well so what process did you use to do that because not everybody knows how to start no that's true I think you know we are (laughs) we were uh, young parents, my uh, we were early twenties, got married, you know, started a family pretty quickly, and we had had varying models in our own families. We both, my husband and I, both raised in Christian families, but didn't know anybody who home educated or really kind of talked about a vision for family, even though families were loving each other and doing this well. So I think we began to read and see mostly American literature, actually, things that were happening, uh, kind of being published um, in the 80s and 90s, discovering this idea of this vision for family. What does that look like? And um, we just kept this conversation going, as in what 
what do we see reading scripture you know kind of looking through the word of god how, how, what were we finding from that asking the holy spirit to reveal this through his scripture uh praying together i mean very you know very very spiritual but actually really important that that was the roots of our kind of pulling that together and i didn't we didn't use a particular we didn't have like a set, set of questions or a particular kind of uh, devotional or curriculum that we used to come up with that. But Dave and I just kept talking and saying, what do we want for our children and what do we want for our family? And that that it kind of started to just unfold in those first few years, especially when we were researching home education, because it was this decision to have everybody at home and to continue growing our family. Uh, was going to change. I I was working, you know, I was working full time. It was going to change everything for everybody. But those kind of big decisions, we knew there was a sacrifice, but that's why you have to know you why. Like we know that we want our children to be nurtured and loved and discipled in the home and to be able to do that and give them the time that that deserves, then one of us has got to be around. (laughs) So, you know, and I love being at home. I love being at home. And so that's the beginnings of that with these ideas. I think you have a lot of ideals, don't you? It's very, it looks all wonderful. But the reality of it is knowing your why, even when it gets hard, keeps you rooted Mm -hmm. and holds you steady in the word of God, in his promises over our lives. And that's what we kept moving forward from. So yeah, I don't know if that particularly answers your question, but that really is what it looks like for us. (laughs) No, it's beautiful. No, no, it actually harkens to something that I I say all the time on this podcast is when you're looking at life change or when you're looking at fixing something that's not working the way you'd like it to be working, action is not what we need. Reflection is what we need. Absolutely. And so that's what it sounds like, you know, you guys really stepped back and looked and you, it, it, and we can't make decisions about how to change our lives, to improve them, to grow as people without reflection. And I think we right. do not as a society take enough time to reflect, uh, you know, even, you know, laundry rooms falling apart and you have no idea how to run your laundry better. Step back, reflect on it. What, okay, what's not working here? You know, what's working here? And, uh, you know, obviously human relationships, infinitely more important to, to step back and reflect on that. So that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. I, I And I talk a lot about removing barriers and creating connections. So when you do see something in the family or household that's just not working, it's generally because, you know, when we feel frustrated, it's generally a blocked goal, something you can't push through. And I, and I so I'll say to people, look, for where's the barrier? What is it that's, you know, what is it in front that's not helping you move forward in this area? Whether it's as, you know, practical as the laundry, like you just suggested, or there's a, a relational issue going on with the children. Like, what it, what is it that's happening there? What's the root? What's the barrier? And create uh, removing uh, with discernment and wisdom what you can, and then creating those healthy connections. And obviously, from a practical point of view, then having a plan. Uh, from a household point of view, I am learning that all the time. You know, like I was saying this on a workshop the other day. I, I came up with a little catchphrase like, "Yes, you can. You just need a plan." <laughs> we can go into our day like that without saying I can't do this so yeah I apply that to many things in my life oh for sure and I I just love the mission of what you're talking about it's it's so um speaks to my heart because my mission was to help people take take what they imagined homeschooling was going to be and make that a reality you know because often people nobody imagines they're just going to be sit there, sitting there frustrated with their child and taking off boxes. You know, they imagine something cozy and beautiful and sitting with their children and reading books together and going on beautiful, you know, field trips and walk, nature walks. And, and nobody imagined the place we often see parents ending up, right? And, right? and so how do we avoid, you know, in that place? Or if you are in that place, how do we get back to it? Which is, I think, a lot about what our conversation will be about. And I, I'm sensing that your book is going to be very helpful for people to get to that place where they cozy matters, you know. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about Charlotte Mason for those who sure. are, are unfamiliar. Yeah, so Charlotte Mason was a revolutionary educator, really, a Victorian. She was around late 1800s, early 1900s. She died in 1923. She was British and she uh, died at about the age of 84. And she really was uh, kind of a mover and shaker in the world of education uh, where, you know, women's voices were beginning to be kind of leaned into and heard. 
but uh, not elevated. And children were kind of seen and not heard. So it was very much, and there was a huge class divide when it came to education. So if you were wealthy, you had a governess, children had more of an opportunity to go on to university or finishing school and all these kind of things. And if you were not so wealthy, if you, and especially if you were poor, <laughs> uh, you know, you've all read Dickens books and things like that, but if they were, these children were kind of like, okay, let's get through the system, what we need to do, the basics, and then they will end up with whatever their family does, whether it's, you know, coal mines, uh, factories. And Charlotte Mason began to see her, her passion was, her, her catchphrase was for the children's sake. So rather than it being a system, an institution, it was, well, let's look back, let's look at the children. And she wanted a liberal education for all. Now, when I say the word liberal, I mean wide and varied. And so that she it can get misunderstood, that, that word, because we use it so differently today, don't we? So she said a liberal education for all. Every child comes into the world as a whole person. God creates them as whole people. And they are ready to interact with the world. They are ready to engage with knowledge, with the environment, with great conversation, with great books. So let's give them all a chance. And it doesn't mean we necessarily dictate their outcome differently. They don't suddenly have a different family, but actually their mind, we are giving them an opportunity. And she really was this advocate for she was training teachers and governesses to think like this, to to understand childhood, to understand the role of the family and the mother and how this all works together. And she um, she started, um, I mean, she, she kind of got into teaching really because it was the only thing she was able to do. She was orphaned around the age of 16, 17, and she got into teaching really young. Um, um, I'd say by the age of 12, 13, she was even doing some kind of helping teachers. So it was it was kind of her destiny, as it were, but it also may have been her only choice because of her family situation. And she grew in favour. She grew in understanding. She kind of was a very much self-taught herself as well and just hungry to grow in that profession. And by the age of about 50, she finds herself uh, in Ambleside in the Lake District, which many of your listeners may have heard of, of the little town of Ambleside or even the Ambleside online curriculum, which comes from the name of that town. And she set up a school, a house of education where she trained governesses and teachers. And that is, you know, the early 1900s, her book started to be published. So she's, I mean, she was a prolific writer. She wrote geography books, she wrote poetry, she wrote devotionals and kind of meditations. I mean, there were so many things, but she famously pub um, had these six volumes published, which we may know as the Home Education Series. And these really were her kind of, this is what I'm all about. But the practice of that, the practice of her philosophy in that time was mainly seen in uh, schools, in small schoolhouses across um, across the UK. It was seen in missionary families all over the world. And they followed a program called the PNEU program. And they would have like a magazine called the Parents Review. So it was very connected, very much community driven, very much even if you're all over the world, we're going to send something out to you that makes you feel like you're part of something. And, in a, you know, in a day before social media and email and internet, she was already thinking people need to feel connected with this form of learning and teaching. And so, so you know, it, it was amazing, really. And so you can read, you can read this philosophy really easily and you can delve into her work and understand her a little bit more and there are more there's more and more that we can read to find out more about her and she was very much so she was a woman of faith she was an anglican a lady and she said famously i don't want to be remembered I want the work to be remembered, but I don't want to be remembered. It's for the children's sake. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. <laughs> she was remembered. Uh, fortunately, unfortunately for her, fortunately for us, she was very much remembered. And her work and impact, as different as it looks in everybody's home, still is important today. 
and um, which is incredible. Yeah. yeah, what a woman of vision, hey? A real leader, businesswoman, yeah. a real entrepreneur in my eyes and um, a, a leader in education. Yeah, and she became really well-favored and connected and she was kind of, you know, hobnobbing and having with the school inspectors and she had a lot uh, and a lot of respect. So on in her on at a when after she died in 1923 at her memorial there's a whole book called In Memoriam, which is a collection of tributes and things that have been said about her. And when you read that, that's when you that's one of my favorite things to read. I think, wow. Well, you know, it's like going to a, a funeral and hearing the stories about somebody's life. And you think, I wish we knew all this stuff earlier. But we get to read this about Charlotte Mason. And yet we're still doing her work, still still doing that beautiful work in our families today. So the legacy continues and you know that is part of um part of my work and what I do. Yeah, well thank you for that, because the more people we have carrying that forward, uh just the better it's going to get, right? The better society will get. Yes. Because if we raise people in love, uh and education is in an environment of love, we uh we can't there's no losing there's just win-win right that's right <laughs> it has yeah, to be absolutely so what uh i mean we've heard a little bit about how you kind of got here but what what do you think was the the biggest impetus in, in was it reading charlotte mason and seeing the outcomes was it uh desiring something different for your own family what got you to this place where you adopted this and wanted to carry it forward what was the main impetus for that yeah well, when I was in the early stages of researching home education, I mean, one of the first things I kind of put into Yahoo or whatever it was back then, it was like, is home education legal in England? <laughs> you know, I was really that basic. I had no clue. I knew of one other family, I think, who had just started to try it here. So I was reaching for whatever I could find to help me kind of understand what I was doing and feeling. And... um I came across many, I guess, many ideas and, and, and lots of curriculums and box curriculums and what people were doing and various forums. But as soon as I came across this Charlotte Mason, I guess the first thing that hit me was that she was British, even though all the information was American. I was all the re, all the sources were American. I was like, how is this? What's this? I don't understand. Uh, I soon realized what it was all about. And I was like, she's British. And I, you know, I love history as well. And I, uh, I'm from the North. So all, all the things kind of like hit my emotional side. I was like, oh, this is wonderful. And also she, because she was so much about childhood, as much as, as much as a child growing in education and knowledge, she was very much about the wonder of childhood. As in, you know, children, some of her very early advice, which is difficult at times, from her first volume, she kind of, well, she says children should be outside like four or five hours a day. So I always said to people like, okay, that might not be manageable. What's the nugget of truth here? How do you get them? But this idea, this emphasis on just get them outside. There was something about the way she saw childhood and valued childhood and valued children in the eyes of God that that was like a big thing for me. Like I was a young mother. I was just learning about what it means to nurture and guide children. And she was not a mother. She never, she was, she, she lived her life around mothers and children and so her observations were incredible and she was a woman of faith so she saw them through the eyes of a, a woman of the holy spirit and so this idea of she just saw something about childhood that had to be um you know kept alive and nurtured yet at the same time giving them room and space to to gain from you know to absorb the world around them from to absorb creation that, that what god had given them and for us to resource them with amazing books and experiences so that they could learn and grow so from the very beginning as you can imagine this was like wow this is wonderful now this is the kind of stuff that catches my attention more than a sparkly a box curriculum i was never really into that i was i was kind of give me a mentor show me lead me somewhere show me a reason show me a why and i'll i'll look into this but from the very beginning i knew and this is very much my personality so i have i have to make this my own um and and before we started recording, Bonnie, you kind of said, oh, I, I don't, 
I've never really wanted to have somebody else dictate how I'm going to do this. And I, I feel the same, but I like to have, I do like a leader. I do like a mentor. I do like to know, okay, this inspires me. Let me learn from you and then let me create this myself. Let me do this with my 21st century British children. And so that's what I did. And I began to learn and read and I just threw myself into studying. I also love studying and began to read and learn and reflect and then slowly implement some of her ideas. And then I'd slowly implement a few more. And then I was finding other people like kindred spirits around me as, as uh, you know, as Anne of Green Gables would say. <laughs> um, I would find these kind of people who were around the country who were on the same journey and we began to form community and conversation and out of that grew really our own way of doing this. And um, that's kind of where, how we've developed it in our family, but also how Modern Miss Mason, the um the book and the movement really came, what it came out of is like, how do you find your freedom within a philosophy? Um, so many of us want courage. We want to be inspired. We want to be, we want to be shown an example, but we have to stay unique. And um, I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is so vital because like finding that freedom within, uh, you know, within a, a, a philosophy, because people get very locked into, you know, okay, well, what do I do every day? Right? What do I do every day? And I've had a number of parents ask me over the years, can you sort of take what you do and make it a curriculum? <laughs> and I, I say, you know, I can't because it just flies in the face of everything. I'm, I'm trying to encourage you to find what works for your family and to, you know, to find something beautiful that you can build your life on and to question everything. So how do we curriculumize that? You know, it's not possible, you know, so we have to just kind of let go and give ourselves the time and the space and the knowledge to discover who we are and who we are as a homeschooling family as well. I had a couple of questions I want to ask you, but I think the main one, like after sort of hearing about Charlotte Mason, like what, why do we especially need her now and her ideas now? Yeah, there were two questions that I asked people when they are right at the beginning of wanting to get to know more about the Charlotte Mason philosophy. And I'll say, what do you believe about children and what do you believe about education? Now, Charlotte Mason said children are born persons. So from her faith perspective, they're created by God. But her emphasis was very much on they're not a they're not a bucket to be filled, they're not a piece of clay to be molded, they are whole and they are we get to have this front row seat watching the watching them develop and watching their the best come out of them. So I, I described it recently like being in a the old fashioned way of developing photographs was in a dark room and so the image was taken, the image was captured but it wasn't revealed until it, it does not revealed until it's in the dark room. So you're there putting it in the, you're in a certain situation, you're putting it in the, uh, the chemicals, you, you lift it up and peg it up and then the, the image appears. And, and I sometimes feel it's like, like, it's like that. Like the, the chil our children have this innate inborn God given personality and gifts and just amazing things waiting to be revealed. And if we provide them with, you know, the right environment, nurturing care, love, encouragement, and wonderful stimulus, then we get to get, have a front row in that dark room as, as they are being revealed. So that is quite different from, often we have this perspective of, here's a child, I need to make them everything, I need to make them great, and I need to fill them with all this stuff, and they need to know all these things. And, and there are many cultures, you know, and, and families that, that's how they were raised. <laughs> and But actually what happens is there's a breaking that takes place and often children break out of that eventually and as adults or as teenagers and it's kind of this restrictive feeling. And so from the very beginning, it's giving grace and space for the child to become who God has called them to be. And that is so relevant today as much as it was over. You know, and these ideas weren't, they weren't, 
she wasn't the first person to come up with this stuff. She just was a voice in her time. And so, you, you know, you can, you can pick up these ideas through various philosophers and throughout the years. But she was a voice. That voice is still uh, relevant for today. And then the second thing is how we view education. And uh, again, I like, uh, she was really big on food analogies. I love food analogies too. So I often think of this of um, traditional education for me, in my perspective anyway, is very much a spoon feeding kind of yeah, just action that's going on. So generally with most institutional setups, there is an outcome of uh, statutory tests and exams and the school needs to set to, to get to a certain standard. They have to have so many grades coming out of this. So, so what is put in it's a business model. So what is put in is, you know, they know all the time, this is what you need to learn so that this is the outcome. So there's this spoon feeding. So it's almost like you bring a child to this incredible delicious feast or just a table of good food. And the difference here between traditional, many traditional educational approaches and the Charlotte Mason approach is this. A traditional one would say they would kind of I don't know, say you were giving them avocado for the first time. You kind of give them a spoon of avocado, put it, and and the traditional approach would put it into their mouth. Like, eat this, it's going to be soft. It's going to, you know, and, and you describe the taste and then you tell them they're going to like it. And this is when you're going to swallow it. And this is how it's going to be in your body. Because, you know, and it's very prescriptive. From a Charlotte Mason perspective, what education is, is bringing a child to the table. We'll go with the analogy still. And saying to them, okay, this is, you know, you might describe what each dish is and you might say this one's a little bit spicy. or But then you say, help yourself and then tell me what you think. So it's such a subtle difference, but actually it's allowing the personhood of the child to come out rather than the forced um, expectation to feel like, oh, I've, I've got to answer this question in this way. Now, you know, we can go all over with this because I do know that, I mean, even here in the UK, you know, our children take the national exams at a certain point, but the foundation of their the the way they understand what learning is uh, and this is what we tell our children if you've got to take exams they're just a ticket to move forward but learning is about you engaging with the world engaging with that book engaging with that castle in some beautiful place engaging with creation that is what learning is and that is for life and so it's very very different and those two aspects I mean there are so many things that are relevant for today that people will have to read the book and find out everything else but those two aspects I think they're a good thing to ask yourself what do I really believe about childhood and about how children come into the world and, and what do I believe about education? So Charlotte Mason said, education is the science of relationship. So it's about connections and relationship and tying things together. But that we don't, you know, the the teacher parent, it doesn't f feel the heavy re um, responsibility of like what they must know. But we are constantly facilitating an environment where they can make those connections and relationship. So there's some very, I call it an upside down educational approach. Um, it does. It's very G.K. Chesterton. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. You know, turn and it on its head. So, right? That's right. Yeah. Turn it on its head. And I think that to me, those two things... Um, you know, just flip things on their head. So um, it's difficult for people to grasp because you feel out of control. You feel like, so if you're a control freak and um, you like to manage everything tightly, you will, you know, there'll be some struggles <laughs> with this approach. Yes. And you know how God keeps saying in the Bible, control all of the situations <laughs> around you. You know how he always says that? <laughs> Which one's that? <laughs> Which translation do you read, Bonnie? <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. You know, I was recently did a talk on um, on resilience and building our own resilience, right? And one of the things that I brought up in that talk is that one of the qualities, I was researching all the qualities of, of you know, people who are naturally resilient. And one of the glaring voids in that list was being in control of everything. <laughs> Nowhere, resilient people right. don't, yeah. they're not control freaks, right? 
and that is something we can train ourselves to be right we can with you know there's some things we can train ourselves to be and control is always sorry just to no, say no, control is you know it's rooted in fear mm-hmm. so i think it, it, again just a little bit of reflection time in the podcast that i think if people listening are thinking well yet i really struggle with being able to let my children go then i would say just you know, do some work on that and just go before the Lord and uh, ask him to highlight what's going on there. Because I think you, it's best to, to deal with those things and move forward, especially if your children are young, because um, if you, as your children get into those older childhood and teenage years, if you're still feeling like a grip and a control, it gets, you know, you're going to struggle. Um, yeah. And, and you get rebellion right? Yeah. Um, it's the natural outcome of trying to hold somebody down too much. They want out from under that, right? right. And it does happen eventually. Right. You know, just to move for a moment from education to actually discipline. And like I had a, like a back formation uh, in a sense because I wanted co- uh, education to not be coercive. And so I was so committed to that idea that education was going to be based on a foundation of love and a rich environment, that the result was, you know, if I can educate my children successfully without coercion, without gold stars, without threats, without whatever, I can discipline that way. And so, but it's a very radical idea. If somebody, if you say, for example, you say, I'll I'll use education and discipline as a analogy here, but say the child isn't, they're having a meltdown about their math right and they can't do their math they won't do their math they're frustrated with their math and it's you know you, things are ramping that never happens in my house <laughs> <laughs> things are ramping and you know what do we do well do, do you how do you get them to do that mm. and you know i would say well what you do is you wrap your arms around the child and say i think math is just too frustrating right now and I think we just need to step back and snuggle. Do you need a snack? What would you like? Would you should you go for a walk outside? What should we do? Because right now this isn't working. And so yeah. I just know that I will love you and you know, we can we can get we're gonna get past this. But right now we're not getting no education's gonna happen like this. It can't. And so I love you and let's do something different. And so you know, the comment made was that's the idea of that whether it's education or discipline, because to me, discipline is just education. It's just a set of skills that you need to learn and uh, to function in society, to to grow as a person. It's just part of it's just part of education. And it's not different than education. And so it's so radical for people to think about just saying, yeah, it's fine. It will be fine. I'm just going to let go of this situation and let the you know, the tears of futility happen or the draining away of the emotions happen and we'll come back to this. Then I'm not going to force you to learn because really, are you going to learn math if I start yelling at you? I don't... No way. <laughs> it's done. I mean, as soon as yeah. the tears come or anything like that, it's done. Yeah, you are done, done. there. Yes. <laughs> this, this lesson will be over now. <laughs> That's right. You know, That's right. and not in frustration, yeah. not in like, okay, fine. We'll just, we can't do math now. You know, that's not going to help anybody. No. Just, you know what, honey, I love you. And, and math's not going to work right now. And that's okay. We'll come back to it. You know? And I think I'm, a, and I talk to people a lot about just being observers of their children. Mm. And I, you know, people might be listening who've got like six or eight kids and they're like, how do I do that? You know, when it's all going on around me. But actually paying attention, Charlotte Mason talks tons about paying attention and if we are paying attention to our children, often we, we can see it's looking for the root of what's going on here. I, I had a I had a friend messaging me this morning uh, with who's got a, a young mum who was talking about the exact same thing. Her seven year old has just started to really get frustrated about maths, and I'm like, maybe you need to pause on it then. Maybe you just love on her, listen to her, you know, and say, you know what, we're just going to pause. We're just going to, and I said, even if you pause for, you know, a, a period of time, not just in that moment, but even if it's like a few days, even if it's a week. I mean, I remember um, trying to, my eldest child was attempting written narrations for the first time, which narration is a big part of a, the toolbox of the Charlotte Mason philosophy. 
and we had tears and then we'd have tears again and we'd have screwed up paper and it wasn't to do it wasn't like a misbehaving thing it was her real her feeling genuinely i don't know what to do here i can't do this and i was learning so i actually decided to wait a whole school year before I, because it was happening so much and I was trying to lovingly help her and just guide her and show her different ways. Nothing was working. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to do this this school year. We're just going to actually take this burden off you because she was flourishing in so many other areas. I'm going to shelve this because I'm not, nobody's asking me to say, nobody's looking at me saying, you must do these things by this time. You know, this child must tick this box at this age. And we, and Bonnie, we waited a whole school year guess what happened? You come round the year after, she is writing reams and no issue at all. And she was ready and flourished in that. And as to this day, being kind of the person that out of all my children has been them, you know, the kind of writing reams and reams. And I learned a big lesson there. Uh, similar to what you were saying is just at, uh, put it away it's okay and the beauty of uh, uh, you know and the privilege of home educating is that we can work with the age and stage of our children and there there's no kind of rushing through my youngest child was was the latest to read out of all my kids it did test my philosophy philosophy it did test what i believed about children for a little bit and people were making comments left, right and centre to her and to me. Concerns were coming up and I just knew she just is taking her time. She's just doing this all in her. And it happened. It clicked. She learned how to decode everything and she's the most prolific reader in the household. And you just have to trust the child, trust the process, trust what God has shown you to do and just be patient. Not everything grows at the same speed. Uh, and we see that in creation and we know that of, of people as well. So why do we want our children to all have this? They must know this at this stage. I know it's it's weird because our brains aren't just, you know, they're, they're complex, yeah. right? You know, even another sort of silly parallel, really, but the, of my seven kids, two of them were very picky eaters when they were young, very picky eaters. And I had a philosophy. It was interesting when you're talking about the feast because that's how my actual philosophy with food was I put good things on the table you choose what you want I'm not going to make you eat any one thing or another if you want to eat you know 25 almonds for dinner I don't really have a problem with that, right? tomorrow you're probably going to eat you know four oranges I don't know you know but in general they you know chose a, a selection of things but they kids generally go through food jags you know they eat one thing for a while but my two pickiest eaters both were girls and I had people comment, oh, you're letting them get away with, you know, get away with that, right? They would literally gag on food, you know, that they didn't like. And so I thought, I am not going to force this child to eat something. And those two are the most uh, adventurous. You know, they will try anything. They will try, How you know, and because I, yes. I just let them be. Yeah. And they, when they were ready, they mm. would try something new. And, and, you know, it's such a beautiful testimony to the flourishing of the human spirit you know, and allowing it to just become what it, what it is. I love that. Another um, question here that I thought was, was uh, really worth looking at. One of the core ideas you cover in, in your book is that, uh, the, and in Charlotte Mason as well discussed this, of course, and you've used the term already, born persons. Can you just uh, explain to my listeners what she meant by that, what you mean by that, that they're born persons? Because this is a really vital idea. It's really vital. And it is her first principle. She has these list of principles and it is the first principle. And it is the first thing that we, we really need to attend to when we approach the Charlotte Mason philosophy. Like I said, what do we believe about children? And so she, yeah, children are born persons. And she, you know, she had, if you really break down her background with that and her um, convictions from a faith perspective. So she'd use phraseology like all children are uh, born with good and evil. Now she wasn't denying like original sin and things like that. People go down that rabbit hole. That's not what she was getting into. She's basically saying <clears throat> they're born whole, ready to engage with the world and we need to receive them in that way. And that's their starting point. So she, she, you know, there, there were philosophers who were saying things like, you know, children are, um, humans are a bucket to be filled. And there were, I can't remember all the quotes off of my head, but she was speaking against a lot of kind of some of those 
schools of thought at that time and saying, no, they're not empty and void. They are full and and ready to engage with the world. And we need to see them as people. And she so she had a lot of thoughts and things to say about not dumbing down the world around children. And so like kiddifying everything and, um, you know, she she talks she talks about the nursery and because she she worked with a lot of wealthy people so some of the language is quite interesting around that but really is this this impression of how we receive children into the world this is what born persons is about and so she obviously from a from a faith perspective was very strong on on God creating these these whole human beings and knowing everything about them and so when we as educators and parents receive children into our family it's believing that they're not um completely empty and void and think something that we have to fill up and add to and create um but actually that they just need to be put in the right environment you know, have she so, so Charlotte Mason talked about education is an atmosphere, a discipline, and a life. So, again, there's so much here, but you could break down all those three areas. I'm sure people can do their own research and, and read my book. <laughs> but the atmosphere of the home, the atmosphere of the home is very much vital to the to the drawing out of the born person so you know what we value what we celebrate what we discuss the conversations we have the ideals the things that we talk about as a as a married couple and as a family all that and she talks about these ideas hanging in the air and that actually children pick up from those and this is also enabling this born person to be to be revealed and to come out so i i the chapter about but um I call this uh, raising humans in my um, in my book, and I t- I tell the story of um, every child has an origin story, and my parents would tell me when they brought me home from the hospital, lightning struck the next door neighbor's um, <laughs> chimney, and it was all very dramatic. I was born in a hot August in 1975, and we all have these stories that we carry, and actually our beginnings are very, very important. So I start the chapter like that, just explaining how, you know, whether we, whether it's that through adoption or through birth, or through birth um, that actually ch- every child needs a beginning story. And actually this, that, that is this so cherished, isn't it? That we have these things that we say to our children. And so capturing that and then believing that now we get to, like I said earlier, that front row seat and seeing who they become is just amazing. But it's not this kind of blind, um, well, we don't just sit back and go, okay, let's just see what happens here. <laughs> We're very much engaged mm-hmm. with with the environment, with kind of what we, the, the living ideas that we bring around them, the things that they read and, and engage with, and the rhythms that are part of their life. So these three tools take, it's all interwoven. So the three, atmosphere, discipline, life, they all work together to bring out who the child is and who they are, you know, what they will, well, who they are, not not necessarily what they will become, but it's who they are today, uh, but also who they are growing to be and their place in the world. And so it's about their significance. It's about their identity. There's so many things involved. And actually, you know, if we can grasp that from the very beginning, if we can help our children understand that, you know, it's not it's not kind of like, a, oh, you're a snowflake, you're perfect, you're going to be... It's, it's not really like that. It's more of a, you know, this is uh, an opportunity for the child to be raised with a strong identity and a call and a purpose in who they are and to reach out to God to see what's next. I, I love... There's a few scriptures in the Bible that talk about, you know, the path of the righteous gets brighter and brighter and, uh, you know, his word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And I love those Im- that imagery of as we stand on a path towards, you know, facing Jesus, that he reveals the next step, that the light, you know, he will, he will reveal what's next. And I think that's the same for our children, for our parenting, that as we're raising these amazing human beings, saying... Lord, what are you illuminating in my child's life and how do we step into that? Um, so I think teaching our children that as a family, stepping into that and growing in that, that to me is all part of the born person approach. You know, this is my take on that and it has got me through this far. <laughs> so, and it's wonderful. It's so life-giving. 
It's beautiful. It is life-giving. The, the, um, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas has a quote. He says, if you, if you want to convert somebody, take them by the hand and lead them. Right. And it's, it's reminding me the paths, uh, the, the lit path kind of reminds me of that because, you know, we, we, we are, drawing to convert to draw towards god right to draw towards god metanoia you know we we drawing closer to god throughout our whole life turning closer to god and and when we think about that that's that's what we're you know we are guiding our children towards god right and so we are helping them convert in a sense right like we were always and we're always in a state of conversion but the idea of that that we just take them by the hand and lead them, you know, that we, we share this journey with them. We don't, uh, we don't say, okay, go there. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Go there. That's the place. Yeah. That's the place you go. And so go there now. Right. Which is kind of, again, kind of looking at the, the typical school system. That's kind of how it's set up. Right. Um, you know, this is the things you have to do. And so you go do them as opposed to, Let's walk. Yeah, which is discipleship, right? <laughs> isn't it? I mean, coming alongside, mm, side by side. So, and I think you know, if we think about dis- the the responsibility of discipling our children, if you look at the you know our perfect um, example of Jesus with his disciples, they were very much life on life. You know, that kind of emulated of passion, uh, pattern, and impartation of life. Like, come alongside, see what I do. Let's let's reach out to the Father and. Let's see, you know, paying attention as we walk along the way, where there's space and time we we discuss deep and wonderful and rich things. And that is the privilege of of raising children to follow Jesus is that we get to come alongside them. And at the right time, they will run hard and fast on that, you know, in their on their own path. I love it. So I would like to, if I can just end off with, first of all, could you just tell a little bit about your book? Just what's the structure of it? What is its main goal? Yeah. Um, The book is split into three parts and it's into motherhood, childhood and education. So it's not just a homeschooling book. It is, there's a, you know, a third of it is all speaking specifically into motherhood about um, continually learning. I talk about, Charlotte Mason uses this phrase about staying intellectually alive. So I really encourage people about this whole idea of keeping learning. And so there's a whole section on, yeah, on motherhood, uh, one on childhood and one on education. And obviously throughout the three, I'm taking from the ideas of Charlotte Mason, how she inspired me in those three areas. And and really is a journey for, um, it is, I mean, you know, anyone can read it, but I did uh, from a mother to a mother, it was very much how you and uh, the mother and your children can grow and learn together. So it's not just about the learning of the child, it's about the mother continuously learning as well. So split into those three sections, there's some kind of um, practical bits at the end of every chapter with some suggestions of how to put meat on the bones, how to put these things in place. Lots of stories, lots of examples from my life and my family and my parents, my life with my parents as well. Um, I talk about art and culture and poetry and there's so much rich stuff. In fact, I end with a poem as well that I wrote uh, while standing at Charlotte Mason's grave in Ambleside. And I wrote a poem called Dear Charlotte. In fact, if you, um, I I'm, can't remember when the podcast is coming out, but anybody who has pre-ordered the book, they will be able to download that poem and get a copy of that before it comes out. So yeah, and so it was, I, you know, I originally wanted to call it Walking with Charlotte, uh, which is now what the introduction is called, but it is uh, Modern Miss Mason, uh, because, you know, the, there is this feeling of a mentorship, really, for, that I've had from her um and I do refer to her as Charlotte all the way through the book, which I, I do put an author's note in the front to explain why I've done that. She's often known in academic circles as Mason, which, you you know, you use that in academia. And often then she's used, she's referred to in Charlotte, uh, homeschool circles as Miss Mason. But that constantly is just kind of, you know, reinstating her marital status. And I wanted to come away from academics and her status in life and I just wanted to show people the person and so it really is a side-by-side journey help hopefully bringing out the best of her legacy and sharing my story as well along the side so you know it's not yeah it's not the be-all and end-all of the Charlotte Mason philosophy I do always encourage people to read her work but I hope it's a book for 
mothers in the 21st century to really understand where she was and to be able to understand and find. And I very much focus on the how to be rather than the how to do. So there's no curriculum advice in here, but there is a very much here. Here's, here's how you can become this person that just inhabits this and walks it out. And, and that's, you know, that's my, that's who I am. That's my story. Uh, so that's what I had to write about. And I'm excited to get it out in the world. Oh, I'm, I'm excited for you. Uh, so the book comes out when? Um, January 10th. Okay. In, uh, so, so it's January, January 10th in the States, 24th in the UK. I'm not sure. I'm guessing Canada would be the same as the States, would it? It usually is, sometimes a couple of weeks behind, but okay, that's great. Um, uh, most of my listeners are American, so. Okay. Yeah. And it's been published by Tyndale, publish, uh, Tyndale Publishing House. So you can purchase it from anywhere you buy books from. And there is an audio book as well. So, oh, uh, do you narrate? I do. Yes. Oh, that is my voice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I love that. I actually love hearing people's own books in their own voice. I think that's really special. Yeah, but you know, I did have to kind of um, audition. <laughs> really? Oh, yes. wow. Okay. So the engineer, the recording engineer had never heard my voice. So he, he was like, send me a sample just to make sure you do know what you're doing I'm like I do I've been reading aloud for 20 years <laughs> I know. got this nailed yes. oh my gosh yeah. oh that's fantastic can you leave my listeners with one piece of encouragement or advice that you would give them yeah I oh goodness one piece <laughs> I guess I would I I want to encourage people to um the thing that I discovered through my coaching practice that I coach um, Charlotte Mason homeschool mums is is very much that at the root of every question and at questionnaire and the roots of every kind of conversation, people are looking for, they want confidence. They want to feel alive and find their freedom within the philosophy. And for much of that, my encouragement to them is always to simplify what they're doing. And when you simplify the stuff, you find yourself, you find who you are and who your family are. I think we were saying this at the beginning, you know, you can get so busy with the doing, the doing, the doing, that actually going back to the, what did you dream of when you first started home educating, the cozy and the books and the conversation and the lit candles, whatever. And it can seem very romantic and kind of far off, but you can have that. And I think that one of my biggest encouragements at this time for mothers is to try and simplify as much as possible. You know, take some time out and do some organizing if you need, whatever it is, but simplify the the rhythms of your day, the stuff around your home, what, you know, try and deal with what's cluttering up your mind and heart and just focus on these fleeting years. And I know you say that when you're an older mum, but it's like a cliche, but they do go very fast. And, you know, focus on that, the simplicity of that beautiful life together. And if you need to take some time out to do that, to do some reflective work, to do some physical, getting rid of some stuff, then it is worth every step of the way. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you so much for joining me today. This is so valuable. Uh, this will come out sometime in November. So people will be, uh, where can they pre-order the book? So from wherever you buy books from, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, um, all the places really, you can pre-order it. And um, so if you do pre-order and this is out in November, then if you come across to modernmissmason.com, you'll get some goodies um, that you can download with your pre-order receipt. And one of the things will be the poem. So, Okay, that's fantastic. Thank you again. And God bless you. And, and you. I hope that this book is picked up by my listeners. I think it's something going to be really valuable for them. Thank you, Bonnie. Okay, bye. bye. 